Welcome back to Mission Smart Podcast. This is Vicki, and I'm here with David. Yeah. And we are continuing our discussion of the book Foreign to Familiar, which is about hot cultures versus cold cultures. So, um, just yeah. In the last podcast, we sort of gave yeah. a general orientation, and we covered relationship versus task, and indirect and direct. So, what do we want to do this time? Um, so we want to talk this time about a couple of different concepts of the hot versus cold culture. And one is group orientation versus individualism. And the other is inclusion versus privacy. Right. So hot cultures would be more group oriented and inclusive and colder cultures would be more individualistic and have a higher view of privacy. So the hot culture is the I belong, therefore I am. My identity is tied to the group, you know, my family, my tribe, my people. And in some places, it could be your, the country you live in, that entire group of people, ethnic group. But a cult culture is more, I am a self-standing person. I have my own identity. I am me. And your opinion is is simply can be yours and you can express it and you can hold your own views. You can make a decision by yourself because it is, in one sense, you think it as only affecting you. Right, because my behavior in a cold culture reflects on me. Not the group, but in a hot culture. Everything I do, my behavior, my decision reflects on the whole group. And this is important as you think about any kind of interactions where people discuss things, make decisions. Yes. So taking initiative, even within a group, um, in a cult culture, you're you're expected to have an opinion about things, to take the initiative, to state your opinion. um, Regardless of anyone else in the group. To do the task, to say yes and take the leadership or whatever. That's good. To be an individual, but in a group, you're you take initiative based on your role within the group, and so you may stay completely silent while someone who is in a different role that is more in the hierarchy, higher up in the hierarchy of respect or whatever, they speak and you don't speak, and you can't get people to speak in that group. It's not valued as good to speak out of turn. If parents are present, you ask children or younger people or even people that are just younger than the grandparent or the parent, you may find it strange they don't have an opinion or they're not going to speak out or they're not going to show their opinion about this or how they look over at their, at the leader of the group. And so we in the West, we value this and we talked about, and we've seen this so often in mission work, in church work, when you're overseas or engaging with people. There is the the clear truth that ultimately someone will stand before God for the decision they made. Right. And so right now, you as an individual and presented with these facts of who Christ is in the gospel, you must make your decision. And Irregardless of anyone else. And we know the Bible does call us yes. to make that decision, but... We, it's, it's helpful to know what else is at play here. And, you know, when you see Jesus saying, I have come and 
to bring division. And, and what he meant was, when I call you to follow me, if you're from a hot culture, this is going to be a lot more difficult for you because you're more conscious of how this is going to impact my relationship with my family, my group, and my people, when in a cold culture, often Western, more um, urban. urban, it's more, what do you think? You make the decision. And we've actually found, and there's plenty of research on this, that it's not always wise to pull someone just haphazardly or to just create that division or to force that division between that family. Sometimes you can read books about people people movements. And what that's about is trying to, um, it's not to, you know, in any way water down the decision they need to make, but it's taking into consideration, could this decision they make, if they make it with a family member, with a friend, with some other people, could this act, could we actually see this impact the whole family and see more people coming to Christ as opposed to, shall we say, plucking this person out of that group context? Um, because there's so many problems that are going to happen with this individual in a hot culture when they make this new decision, which could be very different. Yes, ultimately, socially, it is going to cost them mm. far greater than what it would probably cost a person in a cold culture, socially. Because every event is tied to the group. Every decision. That your place of belonging is, is your identity is within that group. Your place of belonging. You don't expect when you're part of a hot culture that you're going to have to stand alone. Right. That is not what is valued. The group protects you. Now, when a person comes to grace, we obviously want to be able to welcome them into a church. And this is their new family. And it's a spiritual family. But depending on the environment or the place where you are, you may not always have a large, warm, mature church group Stable, even. to bring them into. So these are the different ramifications of these differences. But how does, as we just talk about group... Well, I, I want to say one more thing. Let's about talk the, about group and individual. Yes, yeah. the the team members, the group members are expecting in a hot culture, leadership, um, direction from the leader. They're in a, expecting in the that hot culture in right. a hot culture, and it's comforting, and it is good that someone who is in that higher place than I am is making this decision. The group will provide for me what I need to know. Mm-hmm. Which is why, if we could aim towards that group leader as we're presenting a different anything, a different perspective, a we're going to dig a well in this town, or we're going to present Christianity to this group, if we could see the leaders of that group embrace this new idea, you could see a people movement. 
But we in the West in colder culture say it's just about individuals so I can approach this person and that person, a man, woman, child, it doesn't matter because they're ultimately accountable to God. But it's these social factors that are huge, huge, huge and enormous. I mean, I think about the times that we were over at a friend's, some of our close friends at the time um, from the local culture where we lived and talking about the Bible, we were actually sort of sharing a creation to, you know, creation to fall redemption type of thing, story with them, what the Bible says. And when we're sharing this, their children are in the room, husbands in the room, wives in the room. And this is a, a joint conversation. Mm-hmm. It was just really interesting to share that, whereas... In a colder culture, I think it's more comfortable to share that in a one-on-one. And that person, that individual in a hot culture might feel more comfortable with their friend or their brother next to them. We may think we need to have an individual one-on-one. We need to have this, you know, or even after they come to Christ, we may think, let's have a one-on-one discipleship. Um when there might be value in them in doing this. And they group, and I don't mean group, I don't mean a large group necessarily, but this is, this plays a part in maybe them feeling more comfortable in this new teaching, discussion, ideas, worldview. Now, you would never directly ask someone, have you decided to follow Jesus in front of a group of people? You would (laughs) never do that because it's way too direct. Um, I found it interesting, and in a few um, episodes from now, I'll be talking with a close friend of mine about the Trauma Healing Institute and the materials from that group. And it's very interesting because that material was written in a group-oriented culture. It didn't source out of a cold culture. Its source was a hot culture. And some of the things as we're talking about this group versus individualism, um, within that structure of that, you work in small groups because that allows people who are of different um, social and group stature, they they have a voice in a small group that they might not have in a larger group. Mm. Um, You're processing stuff together as a group. You're valuing the opinion of the group and gaining the insights that the small groups have been working on and stuff. It's just very interesting that this entire curriculum was written from a group orientation. So we've talked about group orientation, individualistic, we could say. Um, And then another aspect of hot and cold culture is inclusion and privacy. So in inclusion, there's a, it's a group oriented culture as we've been talking about possessions they're, they're used freely by the group. And, and, of course, in a more cold culture, this is my stuff. Get your own. You know, we make the joke, what did the, the Cheez-It box say? Get your own box. The idea of... Um, this is mine. This is mine. And, and even in space, you know, Vicki and I, we laugh when we think about often in the country we lived, we could go into a restaurant and go sit in a corner. Wanting to have a sort of private... Conversation time together. And then the next family would come in and either the hostess would sit them next to us or they themselves would choose to sit next to us. 
And we used to always think, why would they want to sit right Why wouldn't the they go to the other side? Because that's what we would do is we would look, give at, them space. look at whoever is there and try <laughs> to find the space that was the farthest away from all the ones already there. And we, they're looking to try to find the closest. They feel more comfortable together. Yes. We saw this in camping. We would find a more faraway spot and set up our tent thinking... Well, both for us, we found it better. We like to have the privacy of we're alone in the woods together. <laughs> and then next thing you know, several tents. Have the- popped up right beside us within two feet of our tent. It was just unbelievable. Or even in a movie theater. There they come. They sit nearer to us. And it's, I think there's that more the better. You know, we would, if you go visit, if I say, I want to come see your family, I want to come see you. Let's have coffee. So I go to this person's house and I want to see this guy. And there's his wife sitting right next to him during the entire coffee. Or his three friends. Or he has invited two or three, two, one friend, two friends. And I'm thinking, I thought I was visiting him. But in his mind... Yeah, it's never, yeah, it's never desirable to be alone. And More it, is better. It could be if he sees me coming into the... He's maybe thinking, my friends will know that David visited me and not them. So why don't I just invite them? That's better. I don't want them to hear that, you know, my English teacher came to my home and he didn't come to yours. And so he's thinking, this is safer. Let's put it all out there. And so Vicky and I, we found ourselves sometimes visiting... A family thinking we were having an evening together with them and we arrived and there was a whole other family there and we immediately as a cold culture people thought did we miss the night did we or misunderstand how, how rude of them to Why invite <laughs> other people to yeah. this now they didn't show up with two families to our home they might but never i've seen that but when we went to theirs there was that uh, you know or maybe they were already there and what are you going to do uninvite them and so, yeah, and, and in a hot culture, you would never exclude someone and make plans. If someone is, is sitting there in the room and you are making a plan, it's going to include everyone. Or you're, with, you're not going to leave people out. Or with food. You know, if you come by my house and we're making the food in a, in a Western, colder culture, it's nothing wrong with just being cooking in front of a person when you drop by and you don't have to invite them. Because you may say, we're having friends over tonight. Oh, good. Have fun. (laughs) We don't think, stay. Let me finish baking this, and I'm going to send some home with you. Now, that's a very gracious and kind, and sometimes you might do that. But it is not expected of you. But in a group-oriented culture or the inclusive hot culture, um, it is always on their mind um, to include you to share with you the food. I know eating in public, I remember in the culture we lived, I would, you know, I got a sandwich and I found myself um, wanting to just start eating it. And a friend said, well, you didn't eat that on the bus, did you? And I said, well, I was, yeah, I was hungry. He said, no, you don't do that. You can't do that. Because I don't have enough for everyone to eat. I mean, it is, as someone coming (laughs) from a... A colder culture going into that culture and the fact that everyone is offering to share with me all right. the time their their food. I mean, I sometimes would say yes, sometimes I would say no. But the it was so jarring to come back um, to 
the U.S. and then you go on a picnic and it's not common <laughs> food. It's, well, we brought our food. And it was just shocking. Yeah, I remember people in the country I live, they said they went to Europe and they worked in a factory. And like I said, he got his own cigarettes out and he just took one and lit it up. And didn't offer us any. And didn't offer anyone. No. So rude. Or he had a... Selfish. Cookie. He had a little bag of food or something. He never even offered. But we remembered the culture that we lived in for 20 years. Just if you have something and others are there. You share. You share. Sometimes we would take, often we took cookies to someone's home. And then next thing you know, they were being served to us. When we yes. sat down, we went, no, we brought these for, for you. you. Um, so I the- thought it very interesting if to think of someone from a hot culture moving, being a roommate with someone from a cold culture. Mm. So you've got this, this, let's say, an international student coming in um, to the U.S. And they're living with an American. And this... this person the the hot culture person is then told by the american okay i've got all my food labeled this is mine these are i got it all labeled and just how that wouldn't to label food as yours would not even enter into but in a cold culture what a respectful thing i won't eat yours and you won't be mine because we value private property we do we were, I was, um, we were having, reading about, um, I think we were watching a movie or reading about a man from a hot culture who came, his entire village saved up for him to come to the U.S. to study. And when he was there, there was one bank account for five guys who were from that area. And they all worked out of one bank account for the four years that they were studying in the U.S. And just, it was it was the pool system. And <laughs> yeah. it was so foreign and, to me. And lived in the same apartment and probably shared food. Everything. everything. They shared so everything. Good. They paid rent out of that account. And there was not the mine sense. And these things, you, you, find, you know, you say, how am I going to learn all this? How am I going to... You need to be aware of it, okay? And sometimes the first question in your the, the first comment that comes to your mind, why don't they want to meet with me? Why didn't they stick to their appointment? Why would they invite this other person? Why won't they make this decision? Why won't they commit? Why did they um and what we need to know is that these other things are at play. Uh, we often see the world, we say ethnocentrically, we we basically say the way we see the world is how we evaluate everyone else. And from, for someone who is coming from a hot culture into this cult culture, you you may see the people around you as very selfish, very rude, very unfeeling or uncaring. But, but know that this is an expression of culture and they are caring people and they are respectful. And it's just everything that they do can't be interpreted as... The intent of their heart is to be cold to you. If I said, I'm coming by your house or your shop, or I want to talk, I want to meet with you and have coffee, in my mind, we were going to have this one-on-one chat, which I thought would enrich our relationship. Or 
um, encourage discussions. And then I arrive and I find that he is not respecting that idea of a private conversation. And it seems like he, in my mind, is he avoiding? No, he's finding, I want you to meet my friends. I want you to meet my brother. He may be issuing you an invitation on some level into his group. Yes. He's he's being polite to you. He's including you. But you see it as rude. I see it as rude because... I feel he's not respecting my invitation. I thought my invitation was clear. And yet, so I think the idea of privacy is very unique to the cold Western cultures. And one thing we need to say, we may have mentioned it in the first one, is that when we say a cold culture, you know, if we just say, well, Africa is hot culture. No, you have colonized countries in like South Africa um, you have countries, if you just say Asia, no, but if you live in Kuala Lumpur and it's millions of people and you're in a very modern, that could be a very, that could be operating from a more Western standpoint. You go to Hong Kong, Singapore. So within a country, you may find these things. It's more of a sliding uh, scale, but there are, in general, a lot of African countries or South American countries right. Asian, or Asian, South Asia, South Asia um, but, countries. But remember, in our apartment, our you know we had like they, those would tend to be hot. Eight apartment units in our building. There were people who were from Eastern Turkey who had moved to the city, or there were people from a bigger city in the country, or there were people from just a. Maybe they had been in the city a few years. And so you had all these different hot, cold culture things mixing because of where they were from. Yes. Uh, uh, Depending on their education, depending on where they grew up or where their parents or maybe their grandparents are living with them. And suddenly we're saying, what is this thing that happened the other day with my neighbor? This interaction and this food came to my house. Oh, that's something very common in. You know, village, village or this part of the country. And you're like, oh, I've never experienced that. Well, that's because those neighbors across the hall have been in this urban environment um, their whole lives. So that's how that's how different it can be. Depend, you know, you can't just say, oh, is everybody in this country this way? No. Well, and as someone who grew up in a the warmest, I think, region of the U.S., the South, um, but in general, we are a very individualistic society, so I would say I'm still from a cold culture. Um, the value of living within a hot culture is, uh, it's changed my life. It has made me a better, kinder, more loving person, I really believe. It has opened me up um, to being part of a group it probably makes some things like the interdependence that we're to have as believers on one another or the church being a group and we work. It's made that. You're talking about living rich. in the Middle East. Yes. Not living in the South part of the United States. Has no, it? no, no. Living in the Middle East right. has made yes. all of these things richer, has made me a richer person. I've, I've become more hot than I was before. And, and I, that's a, it's something I hope I never lose. 
I think we may have mentioned it in the other one. Maybe we didn't. The idea that the northern part of even the United States, those that are listening maybe from America, and we found that in the in the United States, there are these hot and cold going on as well. Not as much maybe as no, when you move. Distinct. Yes, as when you go to South America or Africa or the Middle East. But Yeah, I mean, I've definitely heard people from the north that are that move to the southern part of the US talking about how people act so friendly but and use a lot of use a lot of kind warm language what do they say sticky sweet language sticky, whatever but actually they find that to get into the group is very very difficult there's a wall there's a really tall wall but there's all this sticky sweet language in front of the wall. Sounding very welcoming. I think we talked about that with the task oriented. Yeah. yeah. That you, the yeah. relationship and feeling warm and feeling good is more important than the actual substance we're actually going to get together and make an appointment. Okay, good. Well, we're, we're going through this book and we're, we're, we're just trying to add some of our own stories to this and how these uh, affect when you're engaging with internationals, whether you're working with refugees, immigrants, international students right here in the U.S. or another country, or whether you go to travel there. Um, the book, Far Into Familiar by Sarah Lanier, you can get it on Amazon. Um, we just recommend it very highly. It's going to be a book you'll want to take with you. It's very small. You can put it in your luggage. So... We're going to keep talking. We're going to cover some more topics in the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening today. Feel free to email us with your questions to david at esionline.org. It's always encouraging to hear from our listeners how God is using this podcast. Our ministry is called Equipping Servants International, which exists to equip churches, organization, and individuals to reach the nations both at home and abroad. Our desire is to see people better equipped when they leave, be able to thrive and be effective on the field, and transition back home well. Our book is called Mission Smart, 15 Critical Questions to Ask Before Launching Overseas, and it's available on Amazon in paperback or Kindle. Remember to subscribe to our podcast to get more episodes as they're published.